How's it going? Amen. Amen. Well, as was mentioned, uh, my name is Nathan, Nathan Lote, uh, from Houston, Texas at uh, Crossover Bible Fellowship uh, in Houston. So if you're ever in the Houston area, you're more than welcome to visit Crossover. The pastor is Pastor Blake Wilson. And I've been visiting Cornerstone for some time. Uh, I remember back in the day where there wasn't so many people here. <laughs> it was a little more intimate, right? So it's been amazing to see God continue to be faithful and grow this ministry over the years. Amen. Well, um, as you're standing, we're going to go to the Word of God. We're just going to continue in worship. We're just going to worship through the reading the Word of God and studying and walking through the Word of God. So, yeah, if you have your Bibles, turn to a familiar passage, or it may be familiar to some, maybe new to others. Uh, we will be in the book of Romans. And we will be in Romans chapter 8, and we're going to go to verses 26 through 28. Book of Romans, I'm going to be in chapter 8, verses 26 through 28. If you got it, say, I got it. it. All right, I think it's the majority of the room. All right, let us read together. It says the following. In the same way, the Spirit helps our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Verse 28. And we know that God causes all things to work together for the good, to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Uh, let's pray. Father God, we just thank you, Lord, for this day and this time in which you uh, called us to be here, Father God. Uh, we thank you, Lord God, for eternity past. When you were saying, let there be light, you knew that we would be here today, Father. So if you knew that with intentionality, Father, we just pray that you would help us to uh, get everything that you would like us to receive uh, from this service, uh, from this fellowship, from this gathering, Father God. Uh, what do you want us to hear what words do you want us to take to heart? What do you want us to apply to our lives, Father God? How do you want to impact our prayer lives, Lord God? How can we change for the better? How can we reach people, Lord God? We pray that by your spirit, you speak to each one of us individually, Lord God, and directly and specifically, Lord God. Uh, Father, we just pray during this time and invite you in. Uh, we also pray that you would just uh, calm down any distractions that may be, uh, anything that we're thinking about or weighing on us, Father God. Let us just Lay them at your altar, Lord God, so we can receive your word, Father. And Lord, let this not be the last time that we uh, look at your word, but just another thing to encourage us, but also inspire us to continue to go deeper. So, Father, we thank you uh, and give you the glory, the honor, and the praise. In Jesus' mighty name we do pray. Amen and thank God. You may be seated. So for the time that we're together, I mentioned we're in Romans 8, uh, verses 26 through 28. And for the time that we have together, we will be looking at, does God really hear me? But does God really hear me when I don't know what to pray? Does God really hear me when I don't know what to pray? Now, there's been a few times in my life, and I'm just being honest with you all, and I count you all as friends, 
There's been a few times in my life where I find myself not praying as I should or not praying as much as I should and sometimes not praying at all for whatever reason. And most of the time when that's the case, it's one of five things or maybe some combination of all these five things. It may be that I'm fearful of the result. Like there is something that I would really like to see, but I'm fearful of how God may steer it. Because maybe God will do something I don't want. Uh, That's a reality. Uh, God may do something that I don't prefer. I have preferences. I have specific things and how I'd like to see them worked out. But maybe God has a different preference. Or as I say, the Legos that I built up, I don't want God to come and kick them over, as he's done many times. Uh, in my life. Also, it's my wants versus my needs. You know, I read in Matthew that God takes care of the lilies of the field and feeds the birds of the air. And okay, so God, you give me what I need, but God, will you give me what I want? Also, maybe I'm dwelling on sin. Maybe there's a certain sin that I'm dealing with or somebody sinned against me or I sinned against somebody else and I'm dwelling on it so much and I'm not talking to God because sin does what it always does. It separates you from God. And lastly, uh, number five, I'd say maybe I'm moving in my own power. I'm not praying because I'm being proactive. I'm taking it by force. Uh, God, I'm just going to do this thing, and if it's not your will, just come stop me. Because I'm sure, God, you can do that, so let me just go ahead and do that. Can you relate to any of the things that I mentioned And these are some of the reasons why I find myself not praying. So it's not that I don't know what to pray about. These are the areas I find myself just not praying. And if you can relate to any of these areas or wrestle with some of these areas or experience some of these areas very similar to how I have, then everything I'm about to mention would relate to one of those things. So our main points for today is really just three points. And we are going to look at three things. And those three things are, number one, the role of the Spirit when we pray. God's will when we pray. And lastly, God's process when we pray. The role of the Spirit when we pray, God's will when we pray, and God's process when we pray. Just for a little bit of background, because we got to do background. Just a little bit of background. We're in the book of Romans. And the book of Romans is another one of Paul's epistles that he's written to a church. But the book of Romans is a little different. Most of the time, what Paul would do, and Paul, who was an apostle or somebody who was going out sharing the gospel with different people uh, during biblical days, Paul is going out, and he would normally go to an area, go to a region, and share the gospel with them, that Jesus died, was buried, and was resurrected. And if you believe on that, you can be saved. So he's going to different regions and sharing the gospel. And normally people would believe and get saved. And when they would get saved, enough of them would create a church. And a church would exist. But then Paul would leave and then go on because he has other people that he needs to reach. And as he goes to another region or another place or another church, he would go on and the church would have questions So they would have questions, they would write letters, and then Paul would answer those questions and write a letter back. And those are many of the letters that we're reading in the New Testament. But the book of Romans is different. The book of Romans, 
Paul is writing to a church that he's only heard of and never been to. But it's argued and debated and even said it's one of the best books of the entire New Testament. Best books. Is there really a best book? There's the book. But it's one of the best letters that people tend to quote, put on t-shirts that people can relate with. It's just packed with so many things. And all these things were from a place Paul had yet to be to. And he even wrote in the beginning of Romans, I pray that God would help me find a way to get to you. So he was even praying for them and praying for the saints in Rome, and he hadn't been there yet. Take a note of that. We'll we'll come back to that. But the book of Romans is a book that I like because it helped me very much in my faith. It's also a book that I debated with different people uh, when I was in college, when I was a bit younger. I would debate. We'd get into these deep theological arguments when I was 19 and 20, deep theological (laughs) conversations about the book of Romans. And I remember one time I had a good friend uh, in college, and he was a minister at the time, right? So we're debating about Romans, and I'm like, hey, man, you're wrong. He's like, nah, you're wrong. We can't really figure it out. He says, tell you what, let's call my grandfather, because he's been in ministry longer than we've been alive. Let's call him and ask him some questions that we have about Romans and other things. And one of the things that we were debating about was the Holy Spirit. So he's like, let's call my grandparents and ask them about the Holy Spirit. I'm like, all right, sure, let's do that. So he calls, his grandmother picks up, you know. Hey, baby. He's like, hey, Grandma, how are you? Oh, baby, doing well. Uh, Grandma, me and my friend are talking. uh, You know, I know you and Grandpa have been in ministry a long time. Can Can you tell us, like, about the Holy Spirit? She's like, well, when it comes to the Holy Spirit, see, you get this feeling in your belly, and then you get warm, and then you just want to jump, and then you just want to shout. That's not the answer we were hoping for. So he says, uh, Grandma, thank you. Can you put, like, Grandpa on the phone? She hands the phone to his grandfather, and he puts some scripture on it, right? But that brings up a main question. You know, in a lot of the conversation that I had and even the debate that I had with my friend and things of that nature, Like, what does the Holy Spirit do? At different times, and as his grandmother said, sometimes it's a feeling. The Holy Spirit can make you feel something, but is that all the Holy Spirit can do? Is that it? What else can the Holy Spirit do? And this question is important because it's directly relevant to our prayer lives. And if we're ever in a place in our lives where we feel like we either don't know what to pray or don't know how to pray or how we should pray or what to ask for, we need to know what the role of the Holy Spirit is. So getting back to Romans chapter 8, let's reread verse 26. And it says the following, in the same way, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should. But the Spirit himself intercedes with us for groanings too deep for words. So reading in Romans, we clearly see the Holy Spirit makes intercession for us. Great. What else? Now to answer that question, let's actually go to the book of John. So if you would, we're going to go to John chapter 16. We're going to look at verses 8 through 15, but I'm specifically going to read and call out certain things. So we'll start at verse 8. 
So John chapter 16. And I have to say this, this is the gospel of John. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. This is the gospel of John. So this is where we're at. I'm saying that because I remember there was a brother who was like, man, one time you said John. Man, I was in like third John. I was lost. So no shame, no embarrassment. We're in the gospel of John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. We're in John 16. And what we're reading about, and just to set this up, is this is Jesus talking. And Jesus describing the helper, describing what the Holy Spirit will do when the Holy Spirit comes. You got to say, I got it. All right, I see most of the room. Amen. So while we're there, I'll start at verse 8. It says the following in John 16. And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they did not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, you no longer see me. And concerning judgment, because the rule of this world has been judged. For I have many more things to say to you, but I could, you cannot bear them now. Verse 13. But when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you in an all truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of mine and disclose it to you. And all things that the Father has are mine, and therefore I said that he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. That being said, there's some things here we need to take note of. So the role of the Holy Spirit when we pray is the following. And you can read this whole chapter for context, but just to summarize a bit of what we read, the Holy Spirit converts us. The Holy Spirit guides us into all truth. So in other words, if you're saved, more than likely, it's not the first time you heard the gospel. The same message was heard and preached to you, but there was something different about one time when you heard it. That was the Holy Spirit opening your mind and illuminating your mind to understand what he wanted you to understand. He guides us into the truth. The Holy Spirit teaches you about God. The fact that someone can say things about God and it makes any type of sense to you, that is the Holy Spirit working so that you would understand. The Holy Spirit will convict the world of sin. I used to say back in the day, I'm like, what sin? Like, it's just a Tuesday for me and now all of a sudden I feel bad about it? What is going on? That's the Holy Spirit convicting the Holy Spirit, and we're in John 16, but a quick note that I have uh, John, in John 14, the Holy Spirit brings things to your remembrance. He can bring things back to your remembrance or bring things to your mind. I remember uh, there was a coworker that I had, and for some reason the coworker kept popping in my mind. So I was like, uh, let me pray for him. Find out later they had cancer. So the Holy Spirit wasn't just randomly bringing someone to my mind. There was something to do with that. And in that case, they needed the prayer, and I didn't even know what was going on. The Holy Spirit also reveals God's will. The Holy Spirit converts us, guides us into all truth, teaches us about God, convicts the world of sin, brings things back to our remembrance, and reveals God's will. Why are we taking so much time to set up the role of the Holy Spirit, what the Holy Spirit does? We're in Romans 8. Why are we over here in John 16? Because we have to talk about what the Holy Spirit is doing. And the main reason for that is if you're ever left with what should I pray about, here are some questions that you can ask yourself. So if you're wondering, is somebody's belief on the line? 
So if you're in a situation you don't know what to pray about, it's somebody's belief on the line. Because if the Holy Spirit converts us, then somebody's belief might be at stake. Another question to think of is, what lies are you believing? If you find yourself not praying, not really seeking God, not spending time with God, not really engaging in that, then there may be some lie that has you steering off because the Holy Spirit guides us to the truth. So we need to ask God to expose any lies that may exist. Also, ask God to reveal himself in any situation that you're in. A lot of times when we see in the New Testament where Jesus is going forward, there's some type of issue going on. There's some type of trauma. There's some type of trouble that people are in. And it's not a nice, like a nice, quiet, serene place. And Jesus went over to Samaria by a calm lake. No, a lot of time there's chaos going on and Jesus is coming to bring peace and to bring calm. So just because you're going through maybe a stormy season or something rocky in your life or some trouble going on in your life, God is still there asking to reveal itself. Ask yourself, what is God convicting you about? What is God convicting you about? And a quick note about conviction is conviction is the Holy Spirit giving you evidence that you're walking in contradicting to the truth. So conviction isn't just, I feel guilty. Conviction isn't just, I feel bad. Conviction isn't just dependent upon your current emotional state. Conviction is the Holy Spirit working you, working and showing evidence that you're walking in contradiction to the truth. So what is God convicting you about? Maybe you're at Cornerstone. And you came from another ministry. Okay, they were tripping over there at that other ministry, so you left. Hey, praise God. God has a new season for me. Nothing wrong with that. But maybe God's bringing to your mind, uh, maybe there's some people back there I need to talk to. Maybe there's some people back there I at least need to reconcile. That's not a coincidence. That's God nagging you, poking you, saying, hey, you might need to forgive somebody. Because to get in the family of God, you had to be forgiven. So what is God convicting you about? What is God bringing back to your memory? As I mentioned with my coworker, but what things are randomly popping in your mind? These are things to pray about. These are things to pray about. And also, are you aware of what God's will is? See, a lot of times when it comes to God's will or the will of God, we confuse God's will with God tell us the future, which is not the same thing. Because many times, whether you read in the Bible or even in your own life, if you think back and you could testify, many times if God were to tell you or show you or reveal something to you, you'd run the other way. So God, knowing and understanding God's will is not about God telling you the future. Though he knows the future and it's in his hand, it's not about revealing all these things to you. That being said, let's get back to Romans 8. Let's get back to Romans 8 and look at verse 27. Speaking of God's will. And Romans 8 verse 27 says the following. He who searches the heart knows what the mind of the spirit is. Because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. 
So God's will when we pray is that when we don't know what to pray, the Holy Spirit intercedes for us to keep us aligned to the will of God. Now, again, you may ask yourself, how do I know what God's will is? How do I understand or ascertain or even grasp what God's will is? Like the interesting thing in Matthew chapter 4, and this is also in Luke chapter 4, right before Jesus begins his earthly ministry, he goes into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights and fast. Doesn't eat anything. No food, no barbecue, no catfish, nothing. All right? He fasted before he goes into ministry. And temptation comes up. Satan comes to tempt Jesus, tempts him with eating food and saying, look, I know what you're about to do and the ministry you're about to go for. It takes Jesus on an exceedingly high mountain where they can see far and wide and says, look, if you just bow down to me, you don't have to go through all the pain that I know you're going to go through. There was a temptation that was to arise. And how did Jesus beat this temptation? With the word of God. Every time. Anything that was brought up against Jesus at any point, whether it was temptation was physical, whether it was to not endure pain, whether it was spiritual, whatever the temptation was, he beat it every time with the word of God. Now, quick note. When, we, when I say the word of God, there is a revealed word of God. That's what I'm referring to. So there are things that God has revealed and God has outlined in his word, and you need to know and understand these things. So if any temptation comes up, you know, according to the revealed word of God, this is what God says. I'm not with that. Yes, there's also an undisclosed will of God, like I mentioned, like he may know the future. God knew that Cornerstone would be here today, but as you're sitting here, did you know you would be here 10 years ago? Yes, so there's an unknown will of God, and God at times can reveal that, but ultimately, if you're following the revealed word of God, you can know for sure you're in the will of God. And the great thing about what I just read about Matthew 4 and even Luke 4 is simply that the same way that we beat temptation is the same way that we know we can be aligned is by knowing the word of God and staying in the will of God. So how do you know the will of God? People often say, God, what do you want from me? What do you want me to do? It's not some unknown esoteric thing. It's something that as you come closer to God and know what his word is and as he directs you, you know that aligns with what God said, I'm going to go in this direction. What do we have nowadays? When we're trying to get to a certain place, or we have multiple things that can confirm our directions. We have physical maps, but most of us have a navigation app. Maybe it's Google Apps, maybe it's Apple Maps, maybe it's Waze, whatever it might be. We all have apps, and even though we may have an idea of where to go, we look at this to double check. And sometimes we even look at an app to say, oh, there's traffic there, let me avoid and go over here. It's the same thing with the will of God. And so how are we going to know what the will of God is? Simply put, understanding what God's word is. And that's important because as the spirit is making intercession for us, he's aligning us to the will of God. The reason why that is so important, and I'll just flat out say it, the reason why that is so important is because when we're praying and we're hoping for things 
and things are not going the way that we want, or things are not going the way that we envision, or prayers are not being answered how we thought they would be answered. The reason why that's important is the Spirit may be moving, but in a way you don't recognize. And you don't recognize it because you don't understand what the role of the Spirit is or what the will of God is at this moment. I'll tell you something very personal, very personal. Uh, my name is Nathan, Nathan Alote. Uh, Alote, that last name, is from Ghana. So both of my parents are from Ghana, West Africa. They came to the States, had my brother and had me. Instant citizenship, hey. So I had my brother and had me, and we're here in America, right? Now, one of the reasons my parents divorced and separated was financial problems, financial issues. My dad's not the best with money, which makes no sense because he's an accountant. What? Anyway, my father was not the best with money. And for years, different things happened with my father and my brother and I, and it kind of hurt us financially multiple times over and over. And for the longest time, I'm like, God, fix my dad and his finances. Fix my dad and his finances. Fix my dad and his finances. Two and a half months ago, unfortunately, my father has a stroke. He recovers, but then has a stroke extension. In a sense, two for one stroke. And so now I'm his power of attorney. And guess what? As power of attorney, I'm over his finances. And now his finances are getting in order. Uh, that's not what I meant, God. Uh, you know, I, I didn't know when I was praying about finances in order, I'm going to have to be the one to get it in order. What is that? But that's what I mean by God answering things in a way that you don't recognize. Because the will of God in this case is yes, to help my father out in this situation, yes, help him recover, yes, in so many things, but also, perhaps in this instance, I can show the character of God in diligence in taking care of finances in this season. But again, in our very own prayer lives, if God is moving in such a way, you may be getting frustrated, but it's really, maybe you don't recognize the ways that God's moving, which is why I gave that list earlier about God converts us, God God is showing us the truth. God is guiding us. God's convicting us. We have to get aligned with what God is doing. Now, I have a story to tell. <laughs> and uh, I count you all as friends. I mentioned that earlier. So I'll let you know about something that is uh, very like an inside joke amongst my friend group. So one of my good friends who I've known since college, her name is her name at the time was Jacqueline Golden, but she's married. Her name is Jacqueline Malone. She's married at the moment. And we joke about this thing we call the Jacqueline theorem. Now, a theorem in mathematics is like almost like a proven theory. It's something that we can't say this is all true every single time, but it's happened enough where we can observe and say this is true. So we joke about this and we say we call it the Jacqueline theorem. And the Jacqueline theorem is based upon this. When we were in college, Jacqueline had like a certain type of man that she wanted. Like, you know, uh, you know he got to know the word of God, but he has to be like urban as well. He got to be a certain height. Like there are all these things that Jacqueline had down of what the perfect guy was. And her current husband, her husband right now, if she met him back then, she would have passed him over. But her husband... Everyone agrees, everyone agrees, they are the perfect pair. 
So the Jacqueline theorem is us saying, look, what you were asking for back then, the Holy Spirit said, what? Nah, I'm not, I'm not, I don't hear that. Let me translate that prayer request and get you what you really need. You want a guy from the Ivy League? Nah, 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 nah. I'm going to get you a guy from the HBCU. That's who you really need. You don't really need the Ivy League guy. Because I believe God's going to throw money at all your problems, but the HBCU guys going to get us knees and pray. <laughs> Am I lying? Am I lying? We're in Atlanta. Am I lying? All right. <laughs> so, that's, so that's the joke that we have amongst our friend group about the Jacqueline theorem. And we even, we even coined it, and it, the Jacqueline theorem says that if God were to show you something, you wouldn't know it's for you because it doesn't look how you expect. In other words, you didn't know what to ask for, but God did some translating of your prayer requests. But I also say there is another person or victim, dare I say, that has fallen to the Jacqueline theorem. So at Baylor University, there is this area and a quick note if you uh, are unaware, I did go to Baylor University, uh, and that is actually where I met people like John Uchekwa and Richard Mullen and many others while I was at Baylor University. And I remember one day, I don't think he remembers this, but this did happen. I have a very good memory, so anything I say is true and whatever else you heard is not. So we're walking to Baylor University and we're in front of the student union building. I think it's called like the Bill Daniel Student Center or something like that. We're walking in front of the student union and I guess uh, Pastor Richard got curious or something. He wasn't Pastor Richard back then. He was just rich. So back then, it, Rich got curious about something. He was like, Nathan, um, yeah, man, what type of, like, woman are you looking for? What type of woman you want to marry? And, you know, I was spiritual back then. So I was like, as long as she loves God. <laughs> right? So that was my answer. Right? So I was like, you know, I reciprocated the question. Richard, what about you? And Richard said, man, she just got to have a heart after God, man. She just got to be missional. But, like, yo, she can't be too short. I don't really deal with short women. <laughs> now, that's not to say that anybody Rich is married to is short. They're exactly the height God has called them to be. Amen? Amen. But that was a real statement that was made. And when that comment was made, the Holy Spirit was like, what did he say? <laughs> Look, I heard what he said. Let's translate that and say, we're going to keep the missional. We're going to keep a good mother. We're going to keep all these other things. The, the hype comment, we're just going to ignore that. The Holy Spirit got to translate <laughs> some of the prayer requests. The Holy Spirit got to translate some of the prayer requests. And because of those translation of prayer requests, it led to a marriage union of one of the most amazing couples that I know. It led to, it led to leadership of a ministry. It led to a budding family and a growing family who fears the Lord. But also the other thing that's amazing is I remember when we were still in school, Amanda went off to work for an organization that was already missional. So the idea of leaving Houston and coming to a place you've never been and being missional was already in her. But that wasn't obvious if you just look externally. So that's the Holy Spirit translating prayer requests. In, the, in our very same lives, the same thing happens. The Holy Spirit, we may be asking for certain things. We may be praying for certain things, whether right or wrong, but the Holy Spirit is still 
translating those prayer requests. But that being said, if you're ever in a season or a time or a note and you don't really find yourself praying, continue to pray. Because even though you may not be praying exactly correct, the Holy Spirit is still waiting for you to participate in the process. With that being said, let's go back to Romans. Let's look at verse 28. And it says the following. And we know that God causes all things to work together for the good, to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. So our role when we pray is though the Holy Spirit makes intercession and prays on our behalf, we are not exempt from participating in prayer. And I have Matthew 6 there as a note. The disciples go to Jesus and ask, how should we pray? And that's when the Lord's prayer is laid out. It's not so much as something to directly imitate as it is kind of a framework for prayer. And even in laying out the Lord's prayer, it's simply this. It's not necessarily about the words you're going to say. Because if you're like me in the past, sometimes you get caught up in the eloquence of the word. You're talking to someone, oh, what's up, man? What's going down? Oh, that's good. All right, man, I'll catch you later, man. All right. And then, Father God, we just come to you, Lord God, as I just lie here. Nothing wrong with that. You do want to be respectful. But it's not so much about the words. It's more about the fact that you are participating in the process because the Holy Spirit is translating anyway. And for that reason, we can be confident that we do need to go to God in prayer. And Romans, as we just read, in Romans 8, 28, that is something that is quoted all the time. All things work together for the good. It's always thrown out there. It's put on coffee mugs. It's put on T-shirts. You know, all things work together. All things work together. But in context, this is talking about prayer. So before we get so happy to throw out this verse, which is true and does apply, before we get so happy to throw out this verse, we have to ask ourselves, are we even praying? It's not something to yell out like YOLO, you only live once. It's not something to yell out just to say, I'm going to just go do whatever because God works things out for the good, right? We don't yell that out before we do something against the will of God. It's something that we say because we say, Lord, even though I may not be, I'm praying, and I know you're working out by your will because you work things, all the things out together for the will of God. That is what that verse is referring to. And that is how we apply it to our lives. Amen? Amen. Now, when I mentioned earlier, when we first opened the message, I said we're in the book of Romans. It was written by Paul, so on and so forth. And Paul, even in his writing, as he was saying, is he, he was thanking God. If you read the beginning of Romans 1, he was thanking God for the fact that he's writing to these people, and he prays that God would work out a way for him to get to Rome. But how Paul got to Rome was not easy. See, when Paul said it, he says, I'm just praying for the saints in Rome, and I pray, God, get me there. That was his simple prayer. But the Holy Spirit was saying, no, you're going to need a lot more than just that to get to where you need to go. Now, I'm going to summarize this, and you can definitely check this later. But really, if you read the book of Acts, from about chapter 19, if you go all the way to the end of the book 28, it somewhat narrates a bit of what happens to Paul and how he gets to Rome. But I'll just quickly summarize it. So Paul is going forward, preaching the gospel, sharing his faith with what he's supposed to do with different people. And he's arrested at Jerusalem. They even told him, if you go to Jerusalem, you'll probably be arrested. Goes to Jerusalem, is preaching the word, and there are people who feel like, hey, 
you are sharing the word with Jews and Gentiles, and the Gentiles, you're asking them not to obey the Old Testament. We got a problem with that. So we're going to make up something to get you arrested. Okay? So he gets arrested. And then they sentence him to scourging. Jesus was scourged as well. Scourging is basically, we're going to beat you so bad, it's designed for you not to make it. And that happened to him in Acts 22. And even in that, Paul makes an appeal and basically says, I'm innocent from whatever the false charges they're telling me. And they ask him, do you want to appeal to Caesar? He's like, sure. Okay, get ready to send him to Caesar. But as they are extraditing him to Rome so that he can meet with Caesar to appeal his case, they are still plotting to take his life. He does not know this. He knew at first they were trying to get rid of him, but he didn't know on the way of his appeal they were still trying to get rid of him. So he gets to a point where they say, all right, well, we're going to get you to Rome and extradite you to Rome. Hop on this boat. He gets on this boat. And on the boat, they're saying there's a lot of other people here who are, some of them are criminals. Some of them also have an appeal. But Paul, get rid of him on the boat. He doesn't know this. He's on the boat. A random soldier on the boat hears, knows Paul is really an innocent man, and kind of makes connections not to get rid of Paul on the boat. They're on the boat. They're traveling. They take a rough part on the sea. The boat starts rocking. The boat starts rocking, and they're going, to, they're going to sink. So before the boat sinks, they see an island somewhere. And they say, why don't we just park at the island? And literally, I'm not making this up, one of the soldiers says, if we park at the island, and I'm paraphrasing, if we park at the island, what if all these people get away? You know what? To prevent them from getting away, let's just kill them all. That way we don't get in trouble for anything. What? So even if that happens, there's a soldier who says, let's not do that. Let's just go to this island and like keep everybody together. So they, some people swim to the island, they get to the island, and they're finally stopped at the island even though they're shipwrecked. They're cold from getting out of the water, so they decide to build a fire. Paul grabs some firewood. He's walking towards the fire, and just Paul, no one else, as he puts the firewood down, a snake jumps out of the firewood and bites him on the hand. It even says this, if you read uh, Acts 27, it even says this in Acts 28 as well. They thought he was going to die from the snake venom, but nothing happens to him. And they're like, well, he's still alive. All right, well, God must be with him. He's still alive. Finally, after all of that, because it took months as them being on the island, another boat comes and they finally get to Rome. And, he, and Paul is in Rome and they ask him, man, share your case. And in his case, he gets to share his testimony. He gets to share his testimony on how he used to persecute other Christians, and he thought they were crazy, and they were praying to some random God, and he didn't know what was going on, but he said, I was chained on the Damascus Road. God saved me, and I was able to believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And he was able to share his testimony publicly for a court case. And through sharing his testimony publicly for a court case, people got saved. So here's a question. When Paul wrote in Romans 1, because the, the letter was sent before he even got to Rome, when Paul wrote in Romans 1, I pray for God that he would make a way for me to get to you. Did he know all this would happen? But the Holy Spirit said, that's not enough. I'm going to make sure that even though you're arrested at Jerusalem and they want to take your life, it's not going to happen. So God, give him that. I want to make sure that when they want to beat him and scourge him, 
that he's not going to die from that. So God, give him that. The Holy Spirit saying they're conspiring to kill him, but I'm going to place somebody there that will convince people not to take his life. So God, give him that. When they're going to Rome, they're going to want to take him on the boat. Nope, God prevent that. So when the ship is wrecked and they have nowhere to go and they want to just take all the prisoners, nope, God, keep him in that. Besides that fact, when they're shipwrecked and stuck on an island, when he goes to Rome, allow him to share his testimony. All of this drama in his life seems worthless, but thank God for the Holy Spirit translating his prayer request to give him everything that he needs because how do we know this is God's will? It led to people's belief. So he could sit here and say, look at all these crazy things that happened to me, but as we read in John 16, we know the Holy Spirit is working and moving because it led to belief. The Holy Spirit converts us. The Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin. The people listening were convicted. The Holy Spirit was moving in this very case. And in the very same way in our lives, we probably have a list that's just as long as what Paul said with all this drama that went on. Maybe it's even longer. But you can be confident to know that the Holy Spirit is making intercession on your behalf and wants you to participate in the process. Because it's not about how you pray. It's the fact that you should pray. And never lose heart because God is interceding on your behalf. One thing to note is here we talked about Paul. We've been talking about Paul today. But Jesus prayed for all saints. Jesus prayed for all saints. And Jesus was scourged as well. And Jesus was scourged and beaten to where he had to carry a cross and then be crucified and die on our behalf. But even on the cross, continued to intercede for us. And even when Jesus was talking to the disciples, even before the cross, he said, I have to go so that the helper can come. So in other words, Jesus had to die, be buried, and then resurrect then go to the Father so that the Helper could come, so that the Helper could come and help us in our prayer lives. So if you ever get to a point or a time where you feel like, I don't know what to pray, I don't feel like praying, what should I talk about, what should I should say, you should know that this is so important that God went to the cross so that you can also participate in the process of prayer. So with that encouragement, we should never lose heart. We will at times lose heart, but we should never stop praying. If nothing else, to participate in the process and said, I just leaned over my bed and said, God, help. And the Holy Spirit said, I got the rest. So again, the Holy Spirit can equip us in our prayer lives. And just to wrap up everything that I've been saying, there's a quote my pastor said, uh, Pastor Blake Wilson at Crossover. He said something that just stayed with me for a long time and still with me uh, to this day. He said, if you truly believe that prayer works, you would do it more often. If you truly believe that prayer worked, that you here on earth are praying to the God of all, the God who created Saturn and Mercury and, and the different galaxies and quasars and stars that are out there, the God who created everything, the God who speaks things into existence, the God who's controlling everything from the weather 
to are you gonna how long are you gonna how long is my commute to work? The God who you can, you don't see all these things happening has prevented certain things from hitting your doorstep over and over day after day. This is the God that we serve. And if you really believed that prayer worked, meaning that you now have an avenue to actually speak directly to God. And the only reason you can do that is because, again, Christ embraced the cross and justified us so that we could even be in the presence of God to ask for anything. So with that same power that we can talk to God and ask him for things and that he'll hear us, but also translate us and say, nah, fix that up. If we know that, we should pray more often. And even with everything I said, if you're here today, everything I mentioned, I'm talking about believers. I'm talking about those who have placed faith in Christ. I'm talking about those who believe in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if you're here today and you want to get to know more about God or you don't believe like that, I do want to say that that is available today. If what we talked about, you say, I want access to God like that. I want God to answer my prayers. I want God to translate my prayers. I want God to translate my groanings that I don't even know what I'm saying. That is available today through belief in Jesus. But as an encouragement for believers, let's not ever say we don't know what to pray. Let us say we'll pray with the full confidence that God is interceding on our behalf. Let's pray. Father God, just thank you, Lord God, for uh, just allowing us to hear your word, Father God. We thank you for so many things that you did, uh, seen and unseen for us, Father God. For there are many times in our lives where you've prevented things from happening. It doesn't matter if it was traffic accidents or health scares or whatever it might be, Father God. You have done so many things that we didn't even know to ask for, Father God. Let us all know and be encouraged that you want us to participate in the process of prayer, Lord God, because it's not only for us to ask, but it's also for us to see you work and help increase our faith, Father God, whether that's been praying for one another or praying for the different things that are in our lives, Father God. So we just thank you and give you the glory, the honor, and the praise. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen.